Welcome to the HEAL podcast for all things related to Lyme disease and other chronic illnesses. I'm Mimi McLean, Mama 5, founder of Lyme 360 and a Lyme warrior. Tune in each week to hear from doctors, health practitioners, and experts to hear about their treatments, struggles, and triumphs to help you on your healing journey. I'm here to heal with you. Welcome back to the HEAL podcast. This is Mimi, and today we have a special guest, Dr. Rawls. Dr. Rawls graduated from Bowman Gray School of Medicine at Wake Forest University. He's written extensively on health topics, including Lyme disease, fibromyalgia, and chronic immune dysfunction. He also serves as a medical doctor at Vital Plan, a herbal supplement and wellness company he co-founded with his daughter, Brayden. You can find all of his books and some of his supplements on his website. But Dr. Rawls is a special guest on our podcast today because unlike most doctors, he understands exactly how Lyme and chronic illnesses patients are feeling. He was diagnosed with fibromyalgia in his mid-40s, developed insomnia, fatigue, joint pain, and muscle pain, all symptoms most of our listeners can relate to. After finding no relief for years, Dr. Rawls decided to shift his focus from finding a diagnosis towards health restoration. He focused on his diet exercise that his body was comfortable with, practiced meditation and yoga, and began studying herbal supplements. Finally, his health started to return to normal until he was bit by a tick, which developed into a bullseye rash, and ultimately being diagnosed with Lyme disease. He used a full medicinal herbal protocol to combat his Lyme disease and decided to share this natural healing solution with the world through Rawls MD. I've been using his herbs for almost a year, and I've really noticed a difference in my health. I also enjoyed his 90-day email series. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Rawls, and we are so excited to have you. Can you begin by telling us a bit about your Lyme journey, including the symptoms and the diagnosis? You know, you, I think I probably had what we define as chronic Lyme disease well before that diagnosis. I call that tick bite that you mentioned, the second tick bite, because I spent my whole youth in the woods, and tick bites were just pretty much a normal state. So every time you get a tick bite, every time you get a tick bite, microbes enter your system. It may not be the ones that we define as Lyme disease, but but ticks carry hundreds of different microbe species. And I think I picked that, the classic Borrelia Lyme microbes up when I was younger, probably along with other things. And we do collect a lot of microbes as we go through the life, and we depend on healthy immune system to keep us well. So my problem didn't start, and, and it's like so many other people that I speak with. My problem didn't start until I had a perfect storm of factors come together that disrupted my immune system. I'd been taking call for 15 years, hadn't been sleeping properly, was chronically sleep-deprived, chronically stressed, eating on the run, and doing all the wrong things for my health, and gradually just crashed in my late 40s. Struggled for answers, struggled with the medical system, and really all the medical system had was just medications for the symptoms, and that Mm -hmm. was about it because the medical system deals more with acute conditions than chronic conditions, and we treat them all the same. So really, we didn't get anywhere with the medical system and started changing my diet and lifestyle. And it was, you know, it was obvious that I'd been running myself into the ground. And I got a lot better, but it wasn't until I embraced herbal therapy that that really started changing. I was doing a little bit of that before that second tick bite, but after that tick bite, all my symptoms came crashing back. I developed the bullseye rash, and it was kind of like, well, you know, this is what you've been dealing with all along. So I'd done Lyme tests before that, and they'd been negative. But in chronic Lyme, they often are. You know, I didn't turn positive until I had another infusion of microbes into my system. So it was pretty obvious at that point, but antibiotics just tore my system up. They did nothing for me. And so I ended up doing herbal therapy and really thoroughly embraced it to the point that I gradually got my life back. And that was an up and down affair, but it happened. And that is remarkable. Thank you so much for sharing this journey. So in terms of people just beginning on their Lyme journey, and someone just found out that they have Lyme, what would our couple of first suggestions that you would offer them right out of the gate? 
Yeah, I, th I think the first thing is defining, is this an acute situation or a chronic situation? And if it is an acute situation, in other words, someone is just bitten by a tick and they develop a bullseye rash or start developing other symptoms associated with any tick-borne illness, fatigue, muscle aches, sometimes mild fever, variety of symptoms, then I think antibiotics are a reasonable choice, you know, up to 20 to 30 days of doxycycline or the alternative antibiotics, I think is very reasonable. Are you eliminating the microbes with those antibiotics? Nope, there's very good evidence that you're not. But what are you doing? Well, you're, you're helping to knock the numbers of the microbes down so the immune system can take care of it. And that's ultimately what we're talking about here. You know, one thing that I've observed over 30 years as a physician is that no amount of any antibiotic on earth will save someone from any microbial or bacterial infection if they don't have an intact immune system. You can take someone, an elderly person in there and that gets a pneumonia, and if their immune system is trashed, they will not survive. It doesn't matter how much antibiotic you throw at them. So what we're doing with any antibiotic therapy is just knocking the numbers down. So what happens when you get that tick bite is the microbes enter your system. So different microbes have different strategies. So we're, talking, we're right in the middle of this COVID epidemic right now. And when you look at this coronavirus, along with influenzas and other viruses, they have a break down the door strategy. You know, all of these microbes, you're gonna ask what the microbe wants. The microbe wants to reproduce and spread from host to host and different microbes do it differently. So coronavirus is a break down the door microbe. Its strategy is to get in fast, infect cells of the lungs, reproduce, make you cough and sneeze so it can spread to other hosts. And it's rapid, it's, you know, it's, and, and it doesn't plan to hang around very long. All it wants to do is use you for a while, move to another host. So when we're talking about tick-borne microbes and a lot of other microbes that we call stealth microbes, talking about a totally different strategy, they're doing the under the radar backdoor approach. So when these microbes enter your system from a tick, they infect white blood cells. So all these microbes have the ability to live inside cells, whether you're talking about Borrelia, co-infections, anything else. So they catch a ride on the white blood cells to disperse to all tissues in the body, brain, joints, heart, all through the body. We know this happens. By infecting that white blood cell, they also have an opportunity to manipulate the immune system to suppress certain parts of the immune system and drive inflammation in other parts. So what they want to do is quietly set up shop in your tissues, live inside cells and gain nutrients and resources from your cells. And they would just as soon do that for a whole life for your entire lifetime. And every time you come along and get bitten by a tick, which doesn't happen to us as much as it did, but you think about it, Humans used to spend all of their time outdoors and they were constantly getting bitten by ticks. Ticks are just a normal state of affairs for us and mosquitoes and fleas and flies and everything else. So that's the route that these microbes travel and they set up shop and wait until other opportunities to spread to other coasts is coming along. But it's under the radar, it's slower. It's not that break down the door approach. So it's a totally different microbe strategy and they can stay in someone's system for years as it did with me and it's only if your immune system can't keep these things in check but we call them stealth microbes because they're really sneaky you know they get in there and they manipulate the immune system in interesting ways that you end up with this standoff that the immune system tolerates them being there but if your immune system is strong enough, it keeps them suppressed so you don't have symptoms. Let your immune system get suppressed, though, you're in trouble. And that's what chronic Lyme disease is. 
So, so often what we're talking about is people that have been ill for many years talking to you guys. You know, there's so many people I talk to around the, the country. It's not acute Lyme disease we're talking about. We're talking about this chronic situation mm-hmm. where people stay sick for years and years and years and years. And you get in this tailspin of chronic immune dysfunction that it's really hard to crawl out of it. The conventional medical system just doesn't understand it. That's the difference, and that's what we're dealing with. That's what it's all about. Right. So it's really interesting. So if someone has this chronic immune system, and obviously the two months of antibiotics isn't going to work, and I mean, because we have a lot of people who kind of reach out to us and say, you know, what do we do first? We don't have a lot of money. You know, a lot of people don't have, like, I went down the path and I was fortunate enough that I was able to fly around the country and go see the best Lyme doctors and, and, and it's expensive. Like even to go on the, the long-term yep. antibiotics is $1,500 a week or $2,000 a week. Or, it's ridiculous the amount of money I have spent. So now I kind of tell people like, just stop and then start with whatever, I, I, like your protocol, like your, either your herbal stuff. So would you recommend somebody that being their first, like if they don't have a lot of money to run around the country, what, what would you like just your first couple of basic things if you have chronic Lyme and you know that the two months of antibiotics is not going to work? Sure. You know, it's one of all those things that if you have all the symptoms of chronic Lyme, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, and they all overlap, then you've got a situation where your immune system is dysfunctional. And that is allowing not just the Lyme microbes in your body to to flourish, but all the different microbes in your body to flourish. So antibiotics aren't a very good choice because antibiotics are indiscriminate and disrupt your flora in your gut and other microbes in your body. And they actually end up suppressing immune system functions even more. Antibiotics can work, but I've seen a lot of people that their lives have been ruined by taking long-term antibiotics. There are no studies that support long-term antibiotic use. And this is something I agree with the conventional doctors. There's just no evidence for it. And intuitively, if you think about it, it's not a very functional plan. I was in an odd situation that I really didn't have the opportunity to go and do what you did, which was fly across the country and, and try to find other care, I was forced to figure it out. You know, I uh, reached a point, I was practicing obstetrics and gynecology. I reached the point that I couldn't take night call anymore. My group was not very patient and basically said, well, if you can't, I was one of the founding members of the group, said, well, if you can't take call, we don't want you here. And I had to leave. There was really no idea how I was going to make it and generate income or anything else. I started a primary care practice just really with this theme of wellness and this optimism that I was going to get my health back. But it was pretty shaky financially. I had kids in college and everything else during that time. So I couldn't leave because I had to cover this practice. Yeah, I couldn't leave town. I didn't have the financial resources to pursue any other care. I was in a small town when there really were no other significant specialists that I could trust. I had a basic internist. And I got on the internet and PubMed and read everything that I possibly could and considered every option that might be viable and came up with three main criteria for choosing therapy. Number one was, is there any evidence that this might be beneficial? I think that was important. Number two, what's the toxicity of this potential therapy? Number three, what's the cost of it? You know, could I afford to do it? And I looked at a lot of things. I tried a lot of things. I tried everything that I could bring to me, but I really didn't have the, the, the opportunity to go somewhere else, which really ended up being a, an advantage because it forced me to learn and it forced me to figure things out that I could make available for other people, which I did for my, in my practice for years. And, and now we're doing that through the programs that we do. But 
when you go down the list of things, I mean, antibiotics is at the top of the list. And for acute Lyme disease, I think they have value, but there are no studies supporting long-term use, none. And you're talking about forty dollars to $60,000. I have seen people that are more devastated from the money that they spent on antibiotics that didn't help them than the actual Lyme disease, which is terrible. So they're financially bad. And the antibiotics are really, really toxic. They destroy your flora. And they're just, you know, we, I could go <laughs> in the book, I listed probably five or six things of reasons. I had sepsis for mine. I almost died. I was in the emergency room for a week from it. It was because yeah. I had a port in, my port got infected. So I, I yeah. get it not to interrupt you, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was, that option was off the table. So I looked at ozone therapy, but that wasn't, and I was, I was going to conferences around the country on Lyme disease, alternative medicine. I became certified in holistic medicine during that time. So I was getting out there, but, you know, I looked at that criteria for ozone and, and hyperbaric oxygen and hyperthermia and just all of these different things. And all kept coming back to to the herbs. Um, I happened to read Stephen Booner's book. It was about the time that I was figuring Lyme out. And Stephen Booner produced a book called Healing Lyme. And I picked that up and it was kind of opened the door to say, well, maybe this herbal therapy is a reasonable thing to do. So that was early in the stage where I was going, okay, you know, there's several thousand people that have used this and have reported benefit, even though we don't have the clinical studies, which are hard to do because they're so expensive. Mm-hmm. But we've got people that have, because of the internet, a lot of people have reported benefit. The potential for toxicity of herbs was really, really, really low. And the relative cost to everything else I could do was really very low also, cost, the comparative cost. The other thing about the herbs is there is a lot more science out there than people realize. And there were good studies showing that these herbs do have antimicrobial properties, do have immune modulating properties, and do a lot of other things to really protect ourselves and boost ourselves. That has been brought to light very recently. So, you know, it's just been more and more evidence accumulating So in February, there was a study from Johns Hopkins University Mm -hmm. in Baltimore that they looked at the the different herbs, um, some of the more common herbs, and it's actually some of the, most of the ones in our formulas, and found that most of them were actually superior to antibiotics. They were able to kill the cis forms and the mobile forms of bacteria of the spirochetes, which antibiotics couldn't do. So now we've even got more evidence saying herbs really are important. But the advantage of the herbs is you can, because of the low toxicity, you can take them for a long time. And that's what it takes with these microbes. You have to wear them down and build, rebuild your immune system at the same time. Okay, if I don't have a Lyme literate doctor near me, or a functional medicine doctor for that matter, can I go on your herbal protocol to help support my immune system to fight off the Lyme disease? And would you suggest being on those herbs for how long and how often? Yeah. Well, this is why I wrote the book. I wrote the book, Unlocking Lyme. I took a year out of my life just to write that book, just to detail everything that I went through and my experience with herbal therapy and to make a case for the fact that it should not be expensive to overcome Lyme disease. It just requires patience and persistence and that more than anything else. What I've seen with so many people that I've met is they get frustrated. You know, they try one thing, they get a little benefit and it doesn't work or it stops working. So then they're on to another thing and then another Mm -hmm. thing and another (laughs) thing. And it's just, you know, it's really understanding what's going on in your body understanding these microbes, understanding why the immune system is so important in this and rebuilding your system and taking herbs for a long, long time. So, you know, people in rural areas, I've, I've talked to plenty of folks that didn't have access to Lyme doctors or integrated physicians and not to knock those individuals. I mean, I think there, there are a lot of really good people who care about what they're doing 
But I've also had people's lives ruined by Lyme doctors who didn't know what they were doing, and they ended up in a $100,000 financial hole from it. Mm -hmm. And that's happened way, way too much. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine. So I think most people, if you get just a good general internist or family physician who you can really trust just to get basic medications, basic care, basic monitoring, you know, it, it, Lyme can lead to other things or you can, it can mimic other things. So it's important to have that medical evaluation and periodically keep up with that medical evaluation to just make sure there's not something else going on to make sure you're going in the right direction. So you do need the medical system and you do need the confidence of a medical provider that you can trust, but you don't necessarily need specialized care. That being said, you know that, that people who have access to that and can afford it and, and you find a functional medicine doctor or a Lyme doctor that, they, that knows what they're doing, they can get people there faster. It's just really, really expensive to do it. You know, quite frankly, you know, running an office, it's really expensive to pay staff and, and run everything. And you don't get much back from insurance when you do that. It's a, it's a really frustrating situation for a lot of providers for the level of care that you offer. You know, our system is built on offering procedures. And if you're not offering procedures, if you're just talking to people, I found out pretty quickly, it's pretty easy to go broke. You really need, so there's a huge incentive in our system for providers doing procedures on people. Talking is one thing, but man, if you can do a procedure, you'll make 10 times more on that encounter. Mm. <laughs> so it's a huge incentive. It's crazy. And it's one of the reasons I ultimately left it because I was doing so much more good talking to people, but wasn't getting paid for it because our system just doesn't, doesn't reimburse that way. It doesn't cover that kind of expense. So I, I think anybody can get, get over it. I think the keys, uh, you know, I, I put so much of my foundation in herbal therapy and complementing that with healthy diet and good lifestyle modifications and good sleep and all of those things, which sometimes take time to cultivate. It took me years to crawl out of that hole. I was figuring things out along the way, but it took me five years before I would reach reached a point where I said, okay, I'm recovered now. I'm done with this thing. So it took a while. But mm -hmm. within three months of taking the herbs, I started noticing a difference. It was an up and down course, but it just kept getting better and better. And yeah, that was ultimately the way. So I also wanted to ask, I was listening to one of your webinars and you talked about if you feel like you have the symptoms of Lyme disease and you don't have the ability to get a second test or even a first test because they're so financially expensive, um, that you would just start the herbal protocol while you're either waiting for a test or you can just forego the test altogether and just start restoring your body, which in turn will help with your Lyme disease. We may be in a better place in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, who knows. But right now, we, our capacity to test for microbes that are in a chronic state is pretty low. You know, we're talking about these microbes that are buried deep in tissues. They're not in the bloodstream, there's not, and they're suppressing the immune response. And those are the things that you depend on for testing. So all of the testing standards, you know, when a lab says, well, you know, our, our lab is 95% or our test is 95% good for picking up Borrelia and Lyme disease. What they're saying is if you're bitten by a tick acutely within that acute period, that acute phase, that's when our test is really 95% good because that's the standard that they're monitoring. There's no standard. We have no idea how good these tests are in chronic conditions. No one has ever looked at, that, at it that way. So there are an awful lot of people out there that are carrying the microbes that don't know it. But beyond that, there are a lot of microbes that are we define as stealth microbes or intercellular microbes that can cause these same symptoms. So there are plenty of people out there that have all the symptoms of chronic Lyme disease have a negative test, aren't carrying Borrelia, and they're, they're still 
virtually the same thing because you know, you've got Bartonella, Babesia, Rickettsia, on and on. So we talk about these co-infections. Well, about a year or two ago, I sat down and looked for all the microbes that were intracellular, could be classified as stealth microbes, could cause chronic infections like Lyme disease. I came up with well over 100 species of microbes, most of which we're not testing for routinely anywhere. So... Mm -hmm. These things happen, we collect them, and it's our immune system, and it's never just one microbe, you know. This whole idea that we have microbes in our tissues is new. When I was in medical school, it was thought that the microbes in the body were pretty much isolated to the gut and the skin. And research over the past five years has shown that that's just not true. And nobody ever really looked at it. But now there's studies out there showing that we actually have a microbiome of our brain. Every single one of us have hundreds of species of microbes in our brain. You've got them in their brain, you've got them everywhere else. There's studies showing that microbes can travel from the gut through the bloodstream by infecting and being harbored inside our red blood cells and travel to the brain and other tissues. We're constantly bitten by ticks and a variety of other sources. We breathe things in continually, and we harbor these things in our tissues, and we all do. Some are worse than others. If you don't ever get bitten by a tick or don't pick up some of these microbes that are associated with Lyme disease, your risk of having these conditions is, is much lower. But the key is the immune system. you got to have a healthy immune system. I would love to know your opinion about vitamins. Okay, well, defining vitamins, you know, I think a lot of people just roll natural supplements and herbs together. Okay, see. Herbs are really one thing, and then natural supplements. When we look, talk about vitamins and vitamin-like substances, those are really two totally different things. So basically what you're doing with different kinds of natural supplement therapies in the form of amino acids and vitamins is you're trying to tweak the chemistry of the body by using those things to either replace lower levels, which sometimes mm -hmm. happens in illness. We use more nutrients in certain areas than, than, we, should do, than we do otherwise or amino acids trying to affect our neurotransmitters in our body because many of our neurotransmitters, especially the things that run our brain, are, are amino acids or amino acid derivatives. So if you're using amino acids, you can sometimes influence those things. But it's kind of the same strategy that we're doing with drug therapy is we're trying to affect the chemistry of the body where it's been disrupted with using these different kinds of nutrients. And sometimes it works really well. A lot of times it doesn't work very well. And it isn't really a direction that I've gone very much research. I mean, it's really hard to research the value of these nutrients in the body. And there aren't very many studies out there. We really don't know very much about using vitamins and vitamin-like substances in the body because studies like that are expensive and not many people are really doing them. So most physicians that are prescribing them or using them are kind of shooting from the hip as far as trying to figure things out. There are more and more types of lab testing, but some of these things are notoriously inaccurate. So it's sometimes hard to gauge. And I just didn't go that route. I mean, there's some nutrients that I think are really valuable. I put a lot of faith in, you know, there, there's good studies behind glutathione and N-acetylcysteine and, and a few others. But I really took a totally different approach. And that is instead of trying to tweak the chemistry of the body to trying to help the body tweak itself because our body, our cells have this extraordinary capacity to self-regulate and self-repair. And if you're in that tailspin that they're not able to do that, you can throw nutrients at it all day and it's just not going to help. You have to take the pressure off. So my approach is more, let's take the stress off the cells and the healing system in the body and the immune system 
so the immune system can actually work. And if you do that, if you're eating a good diet, 50% vegetables, mostly fresh food, so you're getting all your nutrients through your diet, your gastrointestinal system is designed to extract what your cells need and the quantities that your cells need them. So eating a good diet is really important. Keeping your stress level down so you're sleeping, moving enough. So all of these support things are really important for just restoring the normal healing capacity of the body. And then the herbs, wow, are they powerful in that respect. So with the herbs, we're not tweaking the chemistry of the body. We're affecting the stress factors that are disrupting the chemistry of the body. So it's really a totally different approach. So when you look at using herbs, basically what you're doing is taking all the natural defenses being produced by the plant. So a plant is going to have to produce things to protect itself from a variety of different microbes, from free radicals, from just about all the stress factors that we are. So when you take an herb, you're taking those natural defenses so you're suppressing not only the Lyme microbes, but you're suppressing all the potential pathogens that we all have in our tissues. At the same time, you're reducing inflammation and you are helping the immune system target these things better. So you're basically, the herbs are fine tuning the immune system. The herbs are protecting the cells. When you protect cells and take stress off of cells, they use less energy, they burn out less slower. And so, they're more functional. If you make all the cells in your body functional again, and you give your cells all the nutrients that they need, you will reach a state of wellness. And the problem with that is it's slow. <laughs> it takes a long time to cultivate that, and people get impatient. But I have seen so many remarkable things take place it just can take years to get there, but it's just patience and persistence and keeping at it. So my approach is quite different than many providers. So it sounds like the key is to build up your immune system. So that way your body has the ability to fight any kind of bacteria or virus that may come into your body. Is that correct? We have a cellular immune system. So it's, it, you know, we have a very, very complex immune system made up of cells and all those cells have to talk to one another. So it's, you know, with these things that we call cytokines are the messengers that allow each of the immune cells to talk to other cells in the body. So if your cells aren't getting nutrients and not and aren't healthy, it means your immune system cells are stressed and aren't healthy. And if your immune system, I like to think of it as like uh, going into a battle. You know, if you went mm -hmm. into a battle and you didn't have good communications and everybody was just going off in different directions, you're not going to get anywhere. You're going to lose badly. So those, those cytokines, all the communication systems of the immune system are really important. And we know that the microbes are trying to manipulate, you know, they infect white blood cells so they can manipulate that immune system in their favor. So you have to cut out the chatter and allow the immune cells to talk and take the stress off the immune cells, you know, with free radicals and other things that the herbs provide. And then the immune system starts to uh, recover. And as it recovers, you recover. So not only are you taking care of all the cells in your body and helping things work better, you know, you're really taking care of your immune system and allowing it to rebound. I have a question that I think is pretty controversial that a lot of people don't have the same answer to, but I would love to know your opinion is, do you think your body is able to completely eradicate chronic Lyme? Yeah, the very quick answer to that is absolutely not. <laughs> there are, you will never eradicate all the potential pathogens, right? I like to think of it this way. You got a big city like Los Angeles, right? You've got criminals in Los Angeles, don't you? Yeah. Are you ever going to get rid of them? No matter how good your police force is? Mm -mm. Nope. And the same thing is true with the microbes in your body. So the best that you can hope for, and, you know, and this is just an ongoing thing. I mean, this, this conflict between 
higher living organisms and, and microbes, bacteria, protozoa, etc. This has been going on since the beginning of time. This is nothing new. All living organisms have potential pathogens within them. All living organisms harbor intracellular microbes in their cells. Every single one of them. It is a fact of life. So it's how you manage that. And that is the job of your immune system. And it just puts the immune system front and center with this whole thing every single time. So no, my goal, I don't think I've eradicated the microbes from my body. Maybe I have. I mean, (laughs) I feel pretty darn good at 62 and doing all the things that I want to do. But yes, I still take herbs because when you look at this thing that we call aging, one of the biggest things that accelerates aging is this competition that we have with our microbes in our body. And there are so many studies now coming out defining the associations between so many chronic illnesses and these kinds of microbes. And it's not a microbe causing a illness, and that's a problem with medical science. They're always looking for that single smoking gun, and that's not the case. It's the immune system, and they miss that. So yes, chlamydia has been associated with multiple sclerosis, Borrelia, and P. acnes, the microbe that causes acne, and so many things have been associated with Alzheimer's, and the list just goes on and on and on and on. But chronic immune dysfunction is in the center of every single one of those illnesses. And you find different microbes for different illnesses. But the studies are showing that there are two studies, one in the UK, one in Canada. This was 2016, 2017, that they were looking for evidence of microbes in the brains of one study, Alzheimer's, and the other, MS. And so they were looking for things like Borrelia and things like that. It was autopsy specimens so they could get large amounts of tissue. And they were separating out bacterial DNA from our DNA and able to, you know, match the segments. They found hundreds, hundreds of microbes in every single specimen. But they also found them in the controls. Every single control specimen had hundreds of microbes. You know, they did controls of people who had died of something other than a neurodegenerative disease. The difference was the people with the neurodegenerative disease had a predominance of pro-inflammatory microbes of different varieties. So what it says is their immune system wasn't working. It wasn't keeping these things in check anymore. And that's what we're seeing, you know, that's so competition with microbes and immune dysfunction is a central feature, I think, of most illnesses. Right now, 20% of cancers are directly associated with intracellular microbes, 20%. I think that, that figure is really low. I think it could be most of them. We just haven't dug deep enough yet. Well, we had touched on this earlier, and I'd love to go back to it. Why do you think the medical community and insurance is not covered or acknowledged chronic Lyme? Yeah, they just don't understand it. We understand things like COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Something that's right in our face and is just right, this thing that you measure that is acute infections. You do a test. You can rely on the test. Everybody, you know, you can identify the patients by symptoms. You know who's got it. They're going to either die or they're going to get well. We do wonderfully well with that in conventional medicine because it goes back to the mid-1800s to something called Koch's postulates. A guy named Koch, K-O-C-H, define this idea that for a pathogen to be a pathogen, it had to be the single entity that caused that illness, and the illness had to be well-defined, and you could isolate that pathogen from someone with that illness, and it always caused the same symptoms each time. And we've found over the years that it's just not accurate, but most of conventional medicine are still looking at that. You know, we still are looking for the pathogen that causes the illness. And virtually everything that we do is in terms of of acute illness. So our conventional medical system does extremely well with acute care. You know, you break your leg or have a stroke or anything like that. We do medical care, drugs, procedures 
that can acutely rectify that problem or at least stabilize it for a certain point of time. But we don't do well with chronic illness because we're applying those same tools. We're taking potent antibiotics and potent drugs and potent things to try to treat the processes of chronic illness where you just can't get well that way. You know, we're artificially blocking processes, which can result in a state of managed illness where symptoms are reduced and the person doesn't die. They keep living with this illness, but we're not eradicating the illness because we're not addressing the causes. We're not looking at the underlying problem and saying, okay, what's going on here? And why is this person ill? It's a, it's the big question we always forget to ask in chronic illness. Why is this person ill? And that's something that I started doing in my practice, that you know the standard medical evaluation is, well, let's collect all your symptoms, do a physical exam, get the labs, define your diagnosis so we can find the diagnosis and we can't treat you until we find your diagnosis because we don't really know what you have. And I developed this reputation for people would come to me that were just being abandoned by the medical system. You know, and that concept of diagnosis and that standard evaluation is valuable, especially in acute illness, less so in chronic illness. So my direction with it was when somebody came to me of, why is this person ill? What is going on in their lives? that may, are making them ill. And I would go down a list, you know, what are they eating? What is their lifestyle like? Are they getting enough sleep? Are they getting outside? Have they been exposed to different kinds of microbes that they could have something chronic? Is their immune system working properly? And so I looked at it from that point of view. And I used to have these patients that would be seeing a specialist and, you know, and they come to me and say, well, I'd say, well, what are they doing for you? <laughs> and it's like, well, they're not doing anything because I don't have a diagnosis yet. I've got to go through all these testing and they're not going to do anything for me until I have my diagnosis. And it's like, hmm, well, let's see if we can figure out why you're sick and see if we can get you well before you actually have a diagnosis. <laughs> exactly. And it happened all the time because it was looking for the underlying reasons of why that person is sick. And I've done that so many times that I, I do consults and I work through that situation and I help the person understand why they're ill. And that gives people strength, it, it, it empowers them. And it's really important. And we don't do enough of that in chronic illness because we don't understand chronic illness as a medical profession. Along those lines with your patients, let's say they started coming to you and taking your herbal protocol and you're monitoring them. Do you then also give them occasional blood work and continue checking in on them and adjusting their herbs? Or with your herbal protocol, is that something that you can kind of let go and just take the herbs? When I was first in my medical practice, I went and got integrative training, became certified and set up all the lab systems in my office. And I was basically doing integrative care the way a lot of integrative physicians are doing it, of still you know, looking for the diagnosis and that sort of thing. And as I went forward in time, I found that the more that I talked to people and really helped understood what was going on with them and they understood what was going on then i needed the labs less and less labs can be really expensive you know a lot of doctors do well with labs financially it, it's kind of like the the lyme disease thing you know the only difference between fibromyalgia and chronic lyme disease is my in my opinion is somebody's had a positive test for lyme disease but otherwise they're fundamentally the same thing and that test is valuable because people, I remember, you know, when I was first going with this, it was like, okay, well, my doctor said I have this fibromyalgia thing, but wow, if I could get a diagnosis for Lyme disease, I might be treated. And wow, all the symptoms are the same. And I'd get the test and they'd be negative. And it wasn't until later that I had a positive test. And so you end up in this situation 
of just doing labs to kind of cover for things because you're not taking the time to talk to the patients. And it was very frustrating because I found that the more time that I talked with people and got to know their situation, the better that I would be able to help them, the fewer labs that I needed, and the less I got reimbursed to the point of hardly being able to keep the doors open because I wasn't doing all the labs anymore. I wasn't doing procedures. I was making people well. Didn't need to do that stuff. So yes, there is value in laboratory testing, but we don't have any good tests right now for immune dysfunction, and we don't have any way to monitor, any practical way to monitor whether we're actually eradicating these microbes, and we don't really understand the microbiome well enough to measure out select species of the microbiome. So most of our lab tests aren't very specific. You know, we do CVCs, we do chemistries, and and they don't give us a huge amount of information. Patients give me more information than anything else. I was told by my grandfather, if you listen to the patient, they'll tell you what's wrong with them. And it's true. Interesting. Interesting. Now, are you still seeing patients as consultations or, or are you strictly just doing, you know, your vital plan and right, online? Right now, I'm putting all my energy into writing and working that way. I haven't ruled out the possibility of going back and doing clinical practice again. I ended up, uh, you know, I had this practice in a small town, an integrated practice in a really small town in North Carolina. And, and before integrated, anybody really knew much of what an integrated practice was. And again, I, you know, the more I, time I spent with people, the more I had, the better outcomes I had, the fewer procedures I did. And again, it was really hard to pay my staff and pay the rent every month. So I eventually closed the office and put all of my, took, took a year and wrote Unlocking Lyme. And then I put all my energies into writing and connecting with people otherwise. With our program, we have a Facebook group that I, I am very visible in as far as trying to answer people's questions. So I try to provide all the resources that I can to help people help themselves. But it's, it's frustrating going, you know, the, this, I, I actually about six months ago, I looked into going to work at a clinic, an integrative clinic here in, in uh, we, we actually moved to a larger town in Wilmington, North Carolina, and thought about going back to practice and talk to the practitioner who was actually selling her practice, thinking about buying it until I found out that yeah, she did do integrative care and she did talk to her patients, but 80% of her revenue came from putting hormone pellets in people. Mm. And it's like, oh, wow. That's not really what I want to do with <laughs> I, I it. I bet not. So, but that's how you get paid. And that's just, the, that's mm. how it is. So I would love for you to tell our listeners about your book, Unlocking Lyme. Well, again, I took my whole, a whole year of my life out to write the book. And so I put all the information that I thought could possibly be valuable for making this course. And it was for that person who's stuck in a rural area and doesn't have a high level of wealth and can't afford to go to Lyme doctors or just doesn't have access to that kind of care. It's a guidebook for them, but it's, of course, it's a guidebook for anyone. So the first five chapters are really helping people understand what Lyme disease really is. And it's a lot of what we've been talking about with, during this podcast. And that's the first five chapters. But then the whole other part of it is herbal therapy, understanding why the herbs work, understanding why herbs are a better option than antibiotics. Beyond that, though, is looking at all the different therapies that are out there. I consider the lifestyle diet and herbal therapy as a foundation. So that doesn't rule out having other kinds of therapy. It doesn't rule out intermittent use of antibiotics. It doesn't rule out ozone or any of the other kinds of therapies that can have some value in certain situations as far as getting people there faster. So I discussed the pros and cons of all of those things in the book. 
I talk about how to develop a relationship with a healthcare provider. So really everything that I could possibly think of. Other alternative therapies for inflammation, dealing with sleep and pain, CBD. There's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. I love that book. I, I When I came out, I think it was on your pre-order. So it, it shipped right when you released it. And I read it in a weekend. And out of all the line, I've pretty much read most of the line books that are out there. And I really, that one spoke to me. And so I was so excited to have you on here um, just because I feel like you're a little bit of like my hero because I'm following you for the past year and you are, you were very involved in and responding to people on social media. And so I feel like I, I knew you without even knowing you when we got on today. So I'm so appreciative that you came on and this has been absolutely amazing. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's good to meet you guys too. And yeah, get the word out there. That's what it's all about. When anyone reaches out to me now and tells me they have Lyme, I always send them to your website and to your book as the first place to start because I do feel like the key is to building your immune system and you provide an opportunity to be able to educate them, but also a solution that's not super expensive. And no matter what path they decide to take, if it's conventional or more functional, the herbs can go along with it and, and definitely build up their immune system. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for the opportunity to get this out there and try to reach as many people as we possibly can. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about Lyme disease and chronic Lyme disease. So it's, it's really hard to reach people. There's a lot of censoring going on by Google, mm-hmm. the FDA, everybody, because they, you know, when, when people don't understand something, they find it to be threatening. And that is frustrating to reach the people that really need this the very most. So books work. That was how I felt like I could reach the most people and do the most good. Well, we appreciate all of that. And we really appreciate your time. We appreciate your book and the knowledge. And thank you so much. And for those of you that would like to learn a little bit more about Dr. Rawls, you can find him at RawlsMD.com. That's R-A-W-L-S-M-D.com. That website, you would be able to buy his book and also it directs you to where you can purchase the herbal protocol if you wish. And there's many different types of herbal protocols that he has on there. So definitely check it out for some great information. Thank you. Each week, I will bring you different voices from the wellness community so that they can share how they help their clients heal. You will come away with tips and strategies to help you get your life back. Thank you so much for coming on and I am so happy you are here. Subscribe now and tune in next week for the first episode of Heal. You can also join our community at Lime360 Warriors on Facebook and let's heal together. Thank you.